Hello, I'm Benjamin Hampton, and you are listening to the Seattle Film Institute podcast. For our sixth episode, we caught up with acclaimed indie director, S.J. Chiro, and spoke with her about two of her films in Lane 1974 and her most recent work, East of the Mountains. Hi, Dad, it's Renee. I'm just not feeling that great about this trip that you want to take all alone. Are you from around here? Oh, I used to be. Some snacks for later. You sure you're gonna be all right out there? I'm gonna be fine. I'm just concerned about your health. I'm not sure my health is your business. Get off! Your dog was gonna rip my dog's throat out. You do these one-handed? I did. Are you a doctor or something? I was. I've got a year if I don't take treatment. You don't know what's gonna happen. But I do. Bed sores, bone fractures, dehydration, the sensation of being strangled at the end of the final drip of morphine. That's what's gonna happen. I know exactly what's gonna happen. So first of all, just thank you for being with us. Um, I've been looking forward to this for some time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, what a, what a pleasant surprise um, being introduced to, uh, I, and I'm just gonna bring up these two films because I watched them and I, I don't want to speak to other films that I haven't seen. But um, getting introduced to Lane 1974 and then east of the mountains um what a really just pleasant surprise that was uh stumbling upon those really two great films oh thank you oh yeah yeah um really just thoroughly enjoyed them for a lot of aspects and we'll, we'll get into so first of all thanks uh, what a treat there and um i noticed in the credits a special thanks to chris blanchett and i wondered is that our chris blanchett at the uh, oh yes it is your yes yes he was really helpful yeah. Oh, wonderful. You're, you're Chris Blanchett. Well, yeah, we love Chris. Excellent. Really well, Chris is Chris is who I met um, when I before I came to the film institute and talked with him and and you know he's initially the one that sold it to me. So that was that was I said wait a second I that's that seems like maybe our Chris Blanchett. So yeah, we had a couple of test screenings over at your place. Oh, really wonderful. Good. Okay. Well, congratulations because what a what a great film just to start on the east of the mountains um also just living in this beautiful state and I've, I've said for years I don't feel like we utilize enough of what's around us in, in just the Seattle and the surrounding areas but all through the state and yeah. then here <laughs> I get you know a wonderful example dropped in our lap of uh you know something with a just wonderful story um beautiful cinematography and and shot locations and um it's it's just really a beautiful film so i was i was just really uh again pleasantly surprised and i, I want to just read something to you uh, from one of the reviews uh that i thought was really special uh after i watched the film and then i thought oh my gosh on top of 
this incredible film I just watched, um, I, I, I didn't know this went into production. So I just wanted to credit you enormously for this too. It says, um, the film was produced, directed, and shot with an almost all female managed directed team from Seattle and other US cities. Most films are made with less than 20% of women at the helm. Seattle is leading the nation in film productions by women in teaching, producing, and guiding women to future producers in film. I, I, I didn't know that about this film. And um, I just thought that would be a nice segue to begin because our last guest, Catherine O'Brien, um, we, we talked a lot about the struggles in filmmaking, you know, being a woman and all the adversity throughout her career and then even in just the filmmaking process. Um, so we, we segued nicely to you, who I thought was just, you know, a, a very um, logical progression. And uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to start there and, and again, say thank you for this wonderful film. Um, and again, thank you on top of that, uh, being myself a feminist um, for, I just appreciated that much more to know that went into the production. Yeah, I think, um we can say uh, 50%. Well, I wouldn't say all, and definitely not all. Our, our DP was a, a guy, of course, our, um, one of our producers was a guy, but our major producer, um, the creative producer, the one that really got everything all done um, was Jane Charles. And so when you start at the top like that, then, you know, you're off to a great running start and she's very much aware of uh, hiring women and she hired me, you know? And so uh, there's that, there's uh, our first AD was also a woman, but most of the, our crew came from um, the Pacific Northwest. We had, I think, three people who came from LA and two of them were actors, so. I wanna start with this film east of the mountains um just really really a beautiful film and i appreciate it so much as being a washingtonian um it, it was it, you know the shot selection the cinematography it it had so much embedded in the story and um so first i just wanted to say thank you what a beautiful film that was oh well thank you very much yeah it was a, a real love letter to washington state for sure um, based on the book East of the Mountains by David Gooderson and uh, starring, you know, Tom Skerritt, who also lives in Seattle. Um, I live in Seattle and, and Jane Charles, the producer, lives uh, in, in uh, Whidbey Island. Oh, sorry, not Whidbey. Yeah, Whidbey Island. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I was thinking of Bainbridge where uh, David lives. But anyway, um, yeah, we're we're all Washingtonians, and it was a big, big love letter to the state of Washington. And can you talk a little bit about the process in in the development of this? Um, you said that you were hired. Had you read this novel? And the the follow up to that is, how much did you envision the you know natural terrain and environment of Seattle and the surrounding areas, incorporating that into the story? Uh, no, I had not read the novel before, uh, before this was proposed to me, uh, but of course I read it many times since then. Um, 
Yes, of the the environment is very intrinsic to my work. If you saw Lane 1974, you saw a lot of use of the environment there. So absolutely, I was thinking of all kinds of terrain, and and Washington State delivers all kinds of terrain as well. You know, I mean, it's amazing what you can shoot here, if you want to. You can shoot a rainforest. You can shoot a desert. You can shoot. You know, I mean, like it, mountains. I mean city, you know, cityscape, you, you have everything in Washington state. Um, and so we were, of course, really focusing on Eastern Washington and the title is East of the Mountains. Um, so I went to Eastern Washington many times actually to scout uh, because I am a Western Washington person. That's, I know Western Washington better than I know Eastern Washington. So uh, my son went to WSU and that's when I started kind of getting uh, aware of what Eastern Washington really has to offer, which is so much. So yeah, um, Dave Drummond was our locations supervisor and uh, he's just excellent. And he knows every corner of the state. So he took a little band of me, um, Jane Charles, the producer, Sebastian Scandiuzzi, the uh, cinematographer, and Aaron Okay, the production designer. And we, he just showed us place after place after place after place. And then it became more and more um, just easy to envision how we were going to shoot. And are you a transplant in the area? Are you a Seattle native or from Washington state? No, I am a transplant. I came here after college in 1988. So I've been here, you know, I consider myself pretty local after 34 years, but uh, <laughs> I am a transplant from right. Northern California. So if you see late 1974, that is where I grew up. Sonoma. California. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I can, Sonoma County. Yeah. I can, I can relate there. I grew up in Sonora, California, which very often gets confused with Sonoma. People go, Oh, you're from wine country. I go, no, that's <laughs> no. Sonoma. Hours away, uh, I don't expect you to know the difference if you're not from California uh, or even even Northern California for all that matter. Right. But right. I, I also loved the environment and shot selection and cinematography in late 1974. Of course, it, it was it was beautiful and, you know, just very graceful in, in the way that you approach storytelling. And, and I loved both of these films under your direction. Um, because they just had a nice, they they flowed nicely and they were just beautiful to look at visually and the stories were so emotionally engaging. Um, and so I want to thank you, you know, from a from a uh, standpoint of a viewer, they're they both very enjoyable. Um, and East of the Mountains was just layered with uh, quite a bit and I wondered how much for you personally um, was embedded in that because I, I thought that was the dynamics between um, Ben and his daughter uh, played played very well by uh, uh, Mira Servino. Uh, I thought she was fantastic, and I just couldn't help but think there there had to be touches of of how you might have felt or some of the dynamics in your own life and in relationships, uh, you know, that seeped into this. Uh, yes, you're right on. You're much more right on than I knew that you were going to be when I started the project. Um, my dad had been sick for quite a while, but just had this ongoing cough, you know, 
and it just was just kind of a part of who who he was and you know he never seemed to get better or worse it just was you know just part of who he was so I didn't really think too much about it but as we got deeper and deeper into pre-production and and um screenwriting uh his his health took a turn for the worse and he was very reticent to talk about it and the more we the deeper we got into the screenplay the more the parallels were becoming apparent and it was very weird because i was not i didn't set out to um explore this relationship with my dad maybe i was maybe it was just a denial or something i don't know but it just became it just peeled away peeled away until really it was just so self-evident and um i really could not ignore it and and i completely related with mira's character and it was uh just very astonishing how much life was imitating art that was being created you know it it yeah. was it was so well done. I couldn't you know help but but you know uh, feel that when I in some of those scenes that were just so um, heart wrenching and and again emotionally engaging. I definitely uh, could could feel that um, you know that that personal element to it. Um, and and also superb casting. Can you talk a little bit about these choices um, that went into it? And uh, I, I from what I understand, Tom Skerritt was initially uh, one of the front runners in, in getting this project together. Is that correct? Right, right. He and David had been talking about making a film out of this book for quite a while. Um, they would meet and they would talk and, you know, but they could never really find the right producer to come on board. Well, they had a friend who had a friend <laughs> and the friend was Jane Charles. And the friend said, hey, Jane, would you, you know, take a look at this project and see if you'd be willing to take it on? And she did. And once she, once she said yes, the ball was rolling. But yes, Tom was involved years before. I mean, he, he's been thinking about this role for a long time. Awesome. And I, I had read a little bit from, this is from Simon Abrams, uh, who wrote a review for uh, Robert robertebert.com or um, the original Cisco and Ebert, but I just like what they Robert said. Ebert. Robert Ebert, yes. Um, you have to be open to and even curious about Skerritt's character if you're to know what makes East of the Mountains so special. A lot of scenes match Ben's energy in the sense that they highlight little unflashy qualities in his and his co-star's performances. Once Skerritt's character feels like talking about his issues, those conversations not only provide some retrospective context, but also feel narratively grounded and emotionally resonant. East of the Mountains feels like Ben's story, either as told by him or maybe just an extension of him. Skerritt's co-stars get that much to match his clear-eyed simplicity in their respective performances. The sort of collaborative effort that is exciting to watch, even if it's also kind of hard to advertise. And I thought about that, you know, originally... Um, of of pitching, you know, the idea of of Tom Skerritt playing this character and all of these elements of an eighty eight year old man looking back at his cycles of life, and uh, it just wouldn't have occurred to me that you know you would tell this story better than so many more filmmakers that I would have thought you know to pitch 
pitch to. So how did they select you and how did you tell this story better, you know, essentially than, than old white men could have <laughs> ever hoped to have put this together? Oh, well, I, I mean, thank you. That's nice. I'm glad it resonated for you. I, you know, I don't know. I, I just know who, who I am. And I, I, when I went to meet with the producers, um, I, I was very honored that they asked me to come in. But I was also very clear that I had my own vision for the film. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a risky thing to say, you know, to people that, uh, you know, have been working on it and have, have had thoughts, but, um, but I'm so gratified that, that they said yes to my vision. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, and I don't know what made them say yes to it. <laughs> I wasn't in their room, you know, with their debate, you know, but uh, yeah, I, I just had some, some, some things that were very clear to me. And, and I really appreciated that writing from Simon Abrams. Honestly, he, he really knocked that review out of the park. It was so in, uh, incisive and, and just so smart and just really got things that are really hard to nail down. And he says that, like, it's hard to pitch, it's, you know, but, um, but the things that, some under, underground things that were very, very important to me. For instance, uh, I believe, this is, I don't know how to say this, but I, I believe in people. Like, I believe that, that I believe in the intrinsic, um, uh, worth of human beings, right? And not every film does. And you can see that. You can see just like characters tossed away and just used as furniture or even just there to kind of facilitate something going forward. But for me, it was really important that every single character carry the weight of being a human being, you know? Even if they didn't have a lot of lines, even if they didn't have a lot of screen time, their worth as a human being should be palpable. And I feel like that's what Simon Abrams really locked into. And it just <laughs> made me so happy because it's, it's a tough thing to, to nail down. It's a tough thing to, um, to articulate, I guess, you know? Yeah. It was, and and um, you also capture a lot of these, you know, dynamics in the relationship. I love the relationship between Ben and his brother, and there's really a subtlety in your filmmaking. Um, you know, if I if I contrasted it to others, um, for one, visually it would be more um, abrupt and and sort of like you know, cut differently. And, you know, if the same person told that story. So I, I've appreciated in both instances of these films, um, you know, how the, how fluent and, and just, you know, graceful and, you know, beautiful they are to, to look at and tell these stories. Um, but I also loved, I, I just love the subtlety because you didn't advertise, okay, this is Ben's brother. And it, it, it takes you. And in the same way that you learn about Ben's character, it, you learn about it throughout the story. So you're not giving everything up front. You don't just, you know, enter and say war veteran, you know, it, it comes out very subtly in, in the nuances of these relationships as well. And I thought that was, that was really, 
brilliant. Does it does it tell the same way in the uh, novel as far as how you know the characters are introduced and then you find out through conversation or through clues that um, again you know the relationships and and who these people are as they're introduced in the story. Well, the very first line of the novel indicates that Ben is thinking about suicide and that he's an older guy. Um, we kind of reveal that, but we reveal it pretty quickly. I mean, I think once he goes up into the bedroom, you get a pretty good idea of what's on his mind. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. Um, but the book, you know, a novel and a screenplay are just uh, two different like completely different animals but but to me the novel does unfold like that you know it, it does take time you know I mean you have so much more time in a novel and I wanted to give that that feeling of that gentle unfolding you know and and kind of onion peeling away on this man um revealing who he is yeah and and speaking of the novel another review from Harvey Carton um, in the 1999 novel by David Guderson, Ben Givens is by comparison a young man of 73, but given his diagnosis of colon cancer, there is no chance that he can live to the ripe old age portrayed by Givens in the movie. And if we go back and steal the best known line of Shakespeare uh, using a script by Thane Swigert uh, and adopting the novel, to be or not to be is the choice. The conflict is not man versus man or man versus nature, but man against himself. And I thought that was pretty apropos as, as that conflict that we got to see brew with Ben's character. Absolutely. It's, it's a very internal conflict. It's his choice. It's his choice of how he lives his life and, or, you know, doesn't, um, how he ends his life. Um, and it's very much about who, who he is on the inside and who he's grappling with, you know? I mean, so it, it's true that there's not, there is like a fight, there is, you know, um, a, there is struggle, but it's not, a, it's not an exterior driven plot, you know? It's a lot about his interior conflict. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things I took away as a, as a personal, you know, personal feeling watching the film was the importance to hold on for other people that you love too, because sometimes, um, you know, I can't speak on that, um, you know, as having suicidal urges, but I can tell you, in, in, at least in Ben's character study, it's evident he just keeps pushing on a little bit more um, because I think you realize how much you impact other people that love you and how your loss, um, you know, could, can impact them so, so adversely. Yeah, I think in the beginning, he starts out with this um, uh, this feeling that he has everything under control. And he's been a, a you know, he's been a successful heart, heart surgeon for 50 years. You know, um, that's, a, that's a person with a lot of control, right? And so he has this kind of rugged individualism where he feels that he is the master of everything about him but what he's not quite getting is that there are connections that we are connected whether we think we're connected or not we are connected to other people and and community matters and you know the connections matter 
Um, and I think that's part of something that he learns. Now, I wouldn't say like, well, he, you know, sorry, this is like going into the ending and if it's a big spoiler, but I, I definitely wouldn't say like he, he thought, wow, I should just stay alive for the sake of my daughter. I don't think that's where he ends up actually. But I do think that he realizes that the way, the way he's gone about it with her is not great and that he can, uh, you know, have, have more connection with her and maybe make the same choice in two weeks or something like that. You know what I mean? But, but do it in a better way and do it in a more considerate way that acknowledges that there are uh, connections between people. Yeah. And that, yeah. You know, it's not just like you and only you are the thing that matters, you know? Yeah. And I liked that uh, some of these things that were forced upon him prevented that, you know, and, and him having to come to those conclusions. Oh, yeah. yeah, because that's that. And again, you to your point of this being a very human story, I mean, it, it is <laughs> as a human, you you certainly feel all of these elements that are that are going on, all these dynamics between the characters and the plot and this, you know, really um, complex, but on the surface, simple story. <laughs> Right, but yeah. but when you unpack it, there's there's a lot of layers and nuances there that are really thoughtful. That that uh, yeah. yeah, that I appreciate that engaged as a viewer. Um, your just to uh, you mentioned earlier 1988 from college. Um, we do talk about this a lot with with uh, people that we bring on um, the podcast because we're always fascinated to learn about you know where you came from, um, what you liked as a student what uh you know maybe some things that you learned that if you could pass back to that student uh years before and and you know with whether advice or or personal anecdotes um things that you learned that were important we're, we're fascinated to know you know kind of where you came from and how you navigated into this industry sure um i started out as an actor and that's what i trained as that's what um you know, I majored in in college. I went to Bennington College and um, I was just completely devoted to the acting world and in theater as well. <clears throat> so um, I actually spent some time in London uh, studying with the RSC through, through my college and um, got a deep understanding of uh, dramaturgy. And, you know, I mean, there's, so there's a lot that goes into acting. But I think that when you filter all that through, you see that in my filmmaking because uh, actor, it's an actor's job to build a full comprehensive human being, right? And so I, I, it's important to me, as I was saying earlier, to kind of give that to my, my actors, you know, and to allow them to really show their full humanness. Um, and, and I think that definitely comes from all my training and, uh, you know, being an actor. Well, um, it, it certainly translates well, cause I, I love the juxtaposition of you working with 88 year old Tom Skerritt and in late 1974 working with Sophia, cause the, what a marvelous job. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, working with her and, you know, uh, aspiring the, the confidence or instilling, you know, what she needed to, to evoke that performance. Of course, yeah. Sophia Mitri Schloss was 12 years old when we shot Lane 1974. And just, um, 
right now Tom Skerritt is 88. He was 85 when we shot. Just to, my apologies for the record. Okay. For the record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so Sophia was 12, but she wasn't uh, a normal 12 year old. She had already had quite a bit of experience acting. She'd been acting since she was six, and she was also um, just extremely smart, curious. Um, just a wonderful person to work with. And she and I got together several times and went deep into the history of, of what it was to be in, in 1974 and what was going on and all the social elements that were coming in. And, and she, she just devoured this, she ate it up. And she, she did her own research, she had her own book you know, that, that her notebook that she took all these notes and she put photographs and all these kinds of things. So this is the kind of actor that I adore and it pays off. So, so my, my, the way I love an actor to work <laughs> and the way I work as an actor is to really research and do all this work beforehand and then let it go and be in the moment, right? And that's what she was able to do. And she was just so smart and um, generous and just had such an open heart and, and wanted to give Lane um, just the very best human representation she could, you know? And I think she was very successful. And that's tough for anyone to do, but for a 12 year old to do, it's miraculous. I mean, she's just very special. Here is a trailer for Lane 1974. Lane, what's your dream house? It would have a big backyard. And my mom would be super pretty. She'd brush my hair. The princess looked to the riverbed in dismay, and there she saw thousands of rocks over which the magical river had once flowed. This always happens with my mom. She just has a hard time getting along with other people. I told you to keep an eye on the kid. Calm down, Clarice. I'm not gonna calm down. Are you praying to Garrett? Oh, God. I'm really glad you guys came here. Me too. You have to understand, sometimes things in life don't happen the way you want them to. Some things we just don't get. You got a just really brilliant performance from her. And, and the whole time I was thinking, you know, what went on to help, you know, curate or facilitate that performance. And it was brilliant direction, 
right? Like I, I just kept thinking, you know, how how you must have worked through the process uh, of helping her, you know, get the best out of her performance because it was it was really good. And and again, that's a phenomenal film. I really loved it. We thank you. We were really partners in in that film, deep partners. And the level of trust was enormous on both sides. And just wow. to to contrast a little bit. Um, Late 1974 was from the hypocrisy of disco and memoir. Um, it, it, a little bit different process, right? Because you took um, your story, well, not your story, but directing both. Um, it, yeah, can you talk a little bit about the beginning stages and, and processes of, uh, you know, finding that memoir and adapting that? Sure. Um, the memoir came to me in such a funny way. I've been, this late 1974 speaks a lot to my own childhood, but it's really taken from this memoir that you mentioned, The Hypocrisy of Disco by Clayne Hayward. And I got to meet Clayne Hayward. We got to be very good friends and very close. Um, and our childhoods were very parallel. Um, so I was the screenwriter on Lane 1974, which is different than East of the Mountains. I was not the screenwriter. Thane Swaggart was the screenwriter, but um, he did. He was generous and enough to take a lot of um, notes from me and thoughts from me. And um, yeah, I, I loved working with him, but I am not the screenwriter. He is, um, but I was on Lane 1974. So I, became aware of the book in 2008, but the film came out in 2017. So <laughs> it was quite a long process. A lot of gestation, a lot of research, a lot of like really feeling and many, many drafts as well. You know, this was my first uh, feature film that I was making. So, you know, that's a lot of work that goes into, into it before you start rolling <laughs> or before you start casting, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and my mistake. Thanks for making the clarification. What I what I was hinting at there was, in East of the Mountains, you were directing somebody else's story, and in late nineteen seventy four, you were directing your own script. So that's, I guess, I, my question was the comparison there of, you know, somebody else's script. Oh, uh, it was, yes, it was very different because, um, uh, you know, <laughs> I feel like now I'm I'm uh, Ben Givens, you know, this control. But yes, uh, in late 1974, I had control, you know, uh, <laughs> it was all coming from me. Um, with East of the Mountains, it was a much more collaborative uh, situation. But luckily, I was collaborating with great people who who were open and smart and wonderful. And, you know, so. Um, so while, while it was different, um, it was still a wonderful experience. Yeah, yeah. And you did, you know, a phenomenal job on both. Did you, do you, um, in the future projects, do you anticipate to do more of your own written adaptive, you know, from script to directing? Or are you up for telling uh, other people's script to story as well. Yeah, I'm up for all different kinds of things. I am, I'm still writing my own work, which is great. I'm excited about that. Um, if something comes along that it's really grabs me and is wonderful, I'm happy to go down that right road too. And um, I'm really interested in uh, directing TV, which of course that would be very 
you know, the director is very different in that situation. The director just kind of comes on to an established um, platform or show that's already running. Um, so they, they're not, you know, they're not as, as much of the instigator or the big boss or, you know, they're, they're more of a guest that comes in and works with an established cast, so. Excellent. And I, and I just got two more questions for you. I appreciate you so much. Um, thanks for bearing with us, especially at the beginning, too. Um, I, I noticed an inscription also at the end of the film dedicated to your father. Yes, unfortunately, he passed with four days left to shoot. And so that's, you know, that's how, uh, you know, his health really started declining as we went into production and suddenly he was in the hospital. And so on my weekend, I would shoot all week. On my weekend, I'd travel to California to be with my dad. And um, yes, it was just very unfortunate that uh, he didn't make it. I thought the last time I saw him, I said, dad, I just have four more days. I'll be right back, <laughs> you know? And he said, you know, go and make your film. Um, I think he knew he had less denial than I had. I think he knew, but I didn't, I, I didn't know. I thought, you know, I thought I would see him again. Well, I just want to say you're, I mean, this is almost a note to him. I mean, this film is, it's just so poignant. It's so beautiful. I feel that, um, he would be so proud and love this work. Um, and I, I just had no idea. And I appreciate you sharing, um, you know, that personal aspect of your life, because again, the film, as I watched it and connected with it emotionally, it felt so visceral. And, and now I know there's, you know, a, a personal and intimate connection there. So I, I really appreciate. And yeah, my, my... yeah there was, uh, sorry to interrupt. Um, it's also, the film is also de dedicated to Lynn Shelton who was a friend of ours and um, a friend of mine and a, a renowned filmmaker from the Pacific Northwest. Um, so, you know, you don't know when your film is going to emerge, you know, because it takes quite a long time to prepare a film, to shoot a film, to do the post-production, and then it comes out. And we never could have predicted that it would that I would lose my dad. I guess maybe somebody could have predicted it, but I didn't predict it, that, uh, that we would lose Lynn. That was a complete shock, even to her. You know, nobody knew that that was gonna happen. Um, we couldn't have predicted this pandemic that it came out in. So, so the grief that this film emerges in is enormous, you know? And it happens to be a film about grief and grieving you know and the, there's no way we could have predicted how resonant it would be to people um in this point in time and and what a beautiful dedication to lynn shelton as well because very special and renowned filmmaker in this area uh i mean i couldn't pair you anymore well together i mean you're, you're both um so great at what you do and she will certainly be absolutely. I appreciate you bringing up that dedication as well. Um, was your dad in the service? Um, just just asking because in, in okay, 
No, he wasn't. He wasn't. But Tom Skerritt was. Okay. Yeah. And in the book, the character serves in World War II. Um, so this book, as you mentioned, was written in the 90s. And so we weren't, we weren't going to make a period film in the 90s. You know, so we moved it up. And that moved Tom Skerritt's character into uh, out of World War II <laughs> and into like the tail end of the Korean War. So, Wonderful. which is uh, kind of funny because, of course, Tom was in MASH, which. <laughs> right, right. During the Korean War. So, yeah, yeah. That's, it's, that's just an extension of his character. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> And my, my final question to you again, thanks so much. I mean, this is this has really been a treat and I love your film and I I can't wait, you know, to see more from you and, and then also previous work. Uh, but these two films that we've talked about uh, are really, really good and, and what a great representative of, of Seattle. So thanks for representing us up here as well. Um, and my, so my, la my last question was just, um, again, going back to, you know, we are, uh, making this for students and, and at the film institute and i mentioned that we talked with uh, Catherine o'brien and um you, you mentioned a little bit about the struggles of, of being a woman and um you know navigating through this difficult career in industry and i just wondered if you had any you know kind of last thoughts of um, encouragement for you know women in this case at, at our institute and, and that are aspiring to be the next you you know, looking, looking at uh, how they can do that or how they can find their niche. Yeah, well, uh, luckily, Seattle is a town <clears throat> that trusts women to lead. And uh, that, that was just not the case in every town. Um, and it's actually still a fight in the industry. It's still a fight in the industry. It's ridiculous, but um, unfortunately that's true. But luckily for people who are starting out in Seattle, uh, I strongly recommend whoever you are, tell your story, tell it the very best you can, you know, and get it, get it out there. And, and people, people will trust you. That is huge to get the trust of a crew, a cast, it's enormous and it is a gift that that I, I am eternally grateful for. Um, if uh, if Danielle Morgan hadn't believed in me as my first DP, you know, where would I be? Or um, Ben Kasulki, who I worked on with several shorts and and what a what a treasure of a human being. But just to step up and say, I believe in you. I believe in your story and I'm here to work with you. That is such an enormous, enormous gift. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful. And, and so students who are here, um, don't be, just try to put fear aside and move forward. You know, fear is a, is a notorious creative, creativity killer, you know? And so the, the more you can kind of put it aside, the better, and just do your own work. Now, when you get into industry, that's a different kettle of fish. And it's something that I'm still negotiating, you know? Um, but, you know, we just always have to move forward and have your vision move forward.
actually did it. You, you've done it. You've been successful. You made some great films. And, you know, what, a, what an example and, and model for, for us, even, um, as other filmmakers to aspire to and be able to see. So thank you so much for your time, for one, um, sharing your, your insight and, and personal stories with us, for two. And um, it, it just for also it seems like being a wonderful human being <laughs> as well um, in, in what you do in this industry. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. That's so kind of you. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with SJ. We hope you will watch her latest film, East of the Mountains, available for streaming. It is a really good film starring Tom Skerritt and Mira Servino that is thought-provoking and engaging. Next up, we will speak with some of our student veterans as we dedicate an entire episode to all veterans in the armed forces, highlighting the unique and inspiring stories of some of our own. Thanks again for listening. I'm Benjamin Hampton, and this is the Seattle Film Institute Podcast. known to